Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. Before I get started on talking about the guest today, I just want to say I'm so excited about all the young people raising their voices uh, in protest and standing up for themselves and um, feeling confident in having a voice. I think there's a great lesson there. So many of us feel marginalized and feel like whatever we say or do or how we vote or any of that stuff doesn't make a difference, but um, it really does. I think there are some powers that be that want you to think that it doesn't make a difference because it, it benefits them if we think that. But in reality, you know, one voice can be quite loud and a multitude of voices, of course. The chorus um, can make for change. So it's just really exciting to see and it makes me really happy that we're all, you know, getting in there and standing up for each other. I know that sounds all hippy-dippy, but that's okay. I think when it comes to humanity, I am hippy-dippy. Um, the usual stuff, if you want to email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com, please do. Uh, this episode in particular has a lot of links, as do many of the episodes, and you can find those links at heyhumanpodcast.com, and uh, I really recommend that because there's so much more stuff to know that an hour conversation can't uh, encapsulate. So what else? Let's see. Social media, Hey Human Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Susan Ruthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. And rate and review on iTunes. It helps so much. I know I say that every week, but um, it's so important to get the numbers up and it really helps spread the word of Hey Human I'm really excited to announce that because of Hey Human and the work I've done here, um, I've just been awarded the Valerie J. Hoffman Award uh, up at Union College. As part of that distinction, um, that award, I'll be going to Union College and giving a lecture, and I'm so excited about that. Okay, so on to today's guest. Well, technically tomorrow's guest, because today is Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday, but when you're listening to it, tomorrow will be today. If that is something you're following, then great. Here we go, Kate Bornstein. Um, I would say that I fangirled when I met Kate, uh, and the reason why follows. Author, playwright, performance artist, gender theorist, Kate was assigned male at birth and then received gender reassignment surgery in 1986. Uh, and identifies now as gender non-conforming. Some of the books Kate has written, Gender Outlaw, Nearly Roadkill, My Gender Workbook, Hello, Cruel World, 101 Alternatives to Suicide for Teens, Freaks, and Other Outlaws, Gender Outlaws, The Next Generation, A Queer and Pleasant Danger, a memoir, some performance pieces, Kate Bornstein is a queer and pleasant danger, The Opposite Sex is Neither, uh, virtually Yours, Hidden, A Gender, Strangers in Paradox, Y2Kate, Gender Virus 2000, and Hard Candy. Among other things, Kate has lectured all over the world, and I had the incredible fortune to meet Kate in person in New York and sit down with Kate and discuss the life of a trans icon and a gender outlaw and a super cool, interesting human being. Um, Kate is partners with Barbara Corrales, who was a guest on Hey Human a couple weeks ago. If you haven't heard that episode yet, I highly recommend it as well. So without further ado, my very cool conversation with Kate Bornstein. Here we go. Hi. Hello, dear. (laughs) Kate Bornstein. It's so, so lovely. To be talking to you. Thank you for being uh, on A Human. My great joy. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, I'm just, so you are, to just do some accolades, I really want people to look you up and read about you <laughs> and learn about you. And one of the things about interviews, of course, is people say, you're this, 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 and this, and then there's no reason for people to go look you up because they've gotten all the information. But I would suffice it to say, a trans activist, author of a gajillion books, an icon for sure, a speaker, motivational speaker of, of sorts, and, a, and just all around incredible human. So it's 
exciting to, to be in your presence. One of my favorite words is namaste. Namaste. And what it means to me is the spirit in me recognizes the spirit in you and is pleased. Oh, yay. Okay. <laughs> it's wonderful. Right. Yeah. Um, so let's start at the very beginning. Um, you were born into this world and immediately or it took a bit of a time before you felt like, wait a minute, somebody shoved my soul in the wrong compartment. <laughs> uh, I was fine for the first four or five years of my life and there was, I had a loving mother and father, a big brother who wasn't too much of a bully, uh, who's actually a sweetheart and there was me, I was the kid yeah. and that's all it was and then I went to nursery school when I was like five and I was told to line up with the boys and the girls, and the boys line and the girls line. And I looked at the boys line and it didn't look fun. And I looked at the girls line and it did. And so I went to line up with the rest of the girls. And a teacher came down and said, oh no dear, that's the line for the little girls. All right, then I'm a little girl. It just made sense to me. Sure. And she gave me this horrible look that grown-ups can give you. And you know you're you're a bad, bad person. And I went scuttling over to the boys' line, and I knew from that day that something was wrong. The whole idea of souls stuffed into the wrong compartment is 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 a lot of fun, but over the years, I've had so many different ways of looking at it. Yeah, that's born in the wrong body is what I thought at first. Mm -hmm. And that became soul into the wrong body. And it, it has since evolved into, but this was my right body. This was my journey this time around. Mm -hmm. um, boy body wasn't actually allowed to express myself the way I wanted to express myself. Yeah. And over the years, I did everything I could to avoid approaching girl, approaching woman. I, uh, that scared the hell out of me. That, that was freaky. Well, especially then, I imagine. Yeah, I, I, I was. You're ahead I was of born, your time. <laughs> I was born in 1948, and and it wasn't until 84 that I actually began transitioning. Mm -hmm. And you had a family, you married, child, and all that stuff. I mean, your story is so intriguing, honestly. Uh, <laughs> when I read that you were one of the leaders in Scientology, one of the higher ups in Scientology, I about lost my shit. <laughs> like what <laughs> that is so discongruent with my understanding of who this person is um but obviously they're not real big on that kind of stuff no 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 it's it's strange though people vilify scientology so much i almost feel like it's worse to be a scientologist than to be transgender that's how i feel about it <laughs> it's much more embarrassing to say hi i used to be a scientologist yeah hi i used to be a man you know. Yeah. Yeah. See, now that I find that interesting too to say, oh, hey, I used to be a man because, I mean, did you? Do you know what I mean? What is oh, the whole idea? Shit. The whole idea of gender and sexuality, it all gets so convoluted to me. And of course, it's, it's not the life I'm living. Obviously, I was cisgendered. I was born a female. I live my life as a female. And that makes sense to me for whatever reason. Um, but. I also know that sexuality and gender have nothing to do with each other, as far as I'm concerned. I might be wrong, but it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with itself. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, I don't think on a personal basis sexuality and gender have much to do with each other. They're two totally different things. Sexuality, who do I want to go to bed with? Gender, who am I? Um, but... The culture we live in says your sexuality is based on mm -hmm. the relationship between your gender and somebody else's gender. 
So if you're a man and you're attracted to men, you're homo. If you're a man, you're attracted to women, you're hetero. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no word for being attracted to trans people. And well, that's interesting. If in fact sexuality is based on gender, there probably should be because there are people. I'm one. I'm attracted to the mix. I'm attracted to slightly masculine women, slightly feminine men. This this just kind of makes my head giggle. It's yeah. just great. Well, I feel like people that are, as they always say, in touch with their with all sides of themselves are far more attractive anyway. You know, they just seem more together. Yeah. And in terms of all sides, um, there's so much more to sexuality than your gender as it relates to someone else's gender. Yeah. What do you like to do? Where do you like to do it? When do you like to do it? Do you like to do it at all? These are all questions that are not answered by are you homo or hetero? Right. Or bi is the big, you know, whoopee. But. Well, and I find it fascinating how much we as a culture and across the board, I would say this is a worldwide phenomenon that we look at a child and make so many decisions for that child as far as what they should wear or what toys they should play with or what social group they should be in. And kids do it to themselves, too. I mean, they do it to each other, obviously. It's a cruel world, you know, as a child sometimes when you just want to climb a tree and play with bugs and, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Were your parents understanding of you being unsure of sort of which line to stand in, as you so appropriately put it? I never told them. Oh, wow. Uh, it wasn't until my father died and it was... Golly, how old was I? Um, I guess I was 34, 35 years old before I finally told my mom. Um, yeah. And they didn't know. She thought, for the longest time, she thought I was gay. Mm. Uh, but she had no idea the other. She knew that her generation, they, that, was, that was inconceivable. Yeah, although, of course, it's existed since the dawn of time. There's photographs of, you know, I've seen photographs of people that are living their lives. Uh, maybe they don't go through the transitional surgery, but clearly, historically, it's not like... That's the thing that drives me so crazy is people are like, oh, all of a sudden people are transgender less and transgender less and left and right all over the place. This transgender wouldn't... Just, it's just a fad, I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, first of all, just... Follow any transgender person on Twitter and realize the emotional roller coaster that they are going through. And I don't think they're just trying to be in a fad. Why does anybody care who you sleep with or what you wear? Or, you know what I mean? I never will understand that. But I'm a Pollyanna, maybe? I'm a nihilist, too. That's a great combo. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think people care about decisions that other people make because they either validate or denigrate our own decisions mm. and we have to have them validate. You're a man or a woman because that's all there is. Mm -hmm. uh, you were born with an Audi, therefore you're male mm -hmm. um, because that's what I believe. Uh, I'm starting to see gender as an ideology. Mm. And it's a belief system. It's no more than that because if you examine, if you take it all the way down to the bottom, it comes, well, well, that's what I believe. And you go, oh, okay, that's the definition of an ideology. And the only way you can have fanatics, people who insist that this is right or insist that that is right, the only way you can have that fanaticism is through a deeply cherished belief system. Yeah. And personally, I went for a long, long time agreeing with that belief system. You're a man or you're a woman. I was wrong. I had to change. And it wasn't too much longer after um, my transition that I realized I wasn't a woman anymore than I was a man. Mm -hmm. And... I've been calling myself not man, not woman, ever since then. And so that's an interesting belief system in and of itself. There are more people who believe that that's 
you can look at gender like that. Sure. There are people who look, there's an ideology of transgender. Oh, transgender is a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who has transitioned out of another gender. That's the right way to be trans, ideologically speaking. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And you know, saying, you know, I get on my soapbox about this stuff because I get frustrated when anyone is marginalized. It frustrates me because I do believe that we are all part of the human race and should be justly treated. Um, but I do also believe that people have an absolute right to their opinion. Of course they do. But they don't have to go screaming it at the rooftops or killing people or, you know, uh, on behalf of their belief system. Again, I think it's because as soon as a cherished belief system is questioned, that rocks us to the core. And we react. We go, wait a minute, no, no, no. When I first realized that, hey, wait a minute, maybe I'm not a woman after all, that was terrible. That was, oh my God, what have I done? Um, no, I know I'm not a man. Uh, that much I spent years and years, and now I'm starting to think I'm not a woman? Oh no, oh no, what does that fucking make me? What does that mean to you, that you're not a woman? I mean, it's again, it's because I'm going off of things that I understand, right? So, from I'm not you, so I can't understand your perspective the way you can. So to say, I'm neither, what space does that put you in? Bingo! Yeah. Um, because gender is defined as either or and completely either or only that's it's called a binary gender system for that reason you can be one or the other you can't be outside it you can't cross between it that's the binary as soon as you say you're neither you're what the culture calls nothing there's no word for you there's no word or concept of yourself in that realm of gender and I cherish that feeling now, but it was awfully scary at first. And so I, I had to look for uh, belief systems and languages that could articulate the idea of being nothing. And I found postmodern theory, mm-hmm. I found Buddhism, mm-hmm. and I found quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. Each of those belief systems can articulate the idea of being nothing and what that means. It's kind of cool. When you came out of the other side of that, that must have been a relief. <laughs> it was a chuckle. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't even, I mean, you don't identify as being lesbian or gay or, you know, any of that stuff, right? You're just all, you are the all, basically, right? Or are you more than nothing? <laughs> and I know you, you, you've said in, in videos I've watched of you, you're also masochist, which is fascinating. Um, so there's this whole other realm of where that puts you, you know? There's, you've got a lot of lists to check off. <laughs> I do, I do, I do. And... Um... As soon, it's an interesting way to list to check off. As soon as you check them off, you don't have to be that anymore. Right. I've spent my time as a heterosexual man. I've spent my time as a lesbian woman. I've spent my time as a submissive masochist slave. Um, What's that like? Oh, it is. It was probably the most comforting, comfortable time of my life. When you're a slave, consensually, uh, and you've agreed upon it, you're putting your whole life in someone else's hands. All you have to do is be of service. Huh. And Sounds very that's relaxing. That's all I want now. <laughs> <laughs> all I want now is to be of service. Well, I don't want to belong to anybody now, either, but it was a nice train. It was a great training ground to realize how much I love being of service to people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that originally came from a feeling of not belonging so intensely that it developed into this need to be completely and wholly quote-unquote owned consensually, but... Nice one. Yeah, that probably had something to do with it. Yeah. Cool. And then once you grew out of that, you went to the to the next thing. See, I, I per, personally, my belief system is 
in reincarnation. I do believe that, even though I also believe in science, but I, it makes sense to me, reincarnation does. And I also believe that reincarnation happens within one's own life in a snapshot of the life. You, you are many things throughout your life. Who I am today certainly is not who, I mean, a part of who I was exists still, but I'm a totally different person. I have different thoughts and desires and needs and wants and all that stuff. And uh, so to me, it's sort of a, a wink from the universe that, that we do transition, it's a great word, transmogrify throughout our life. And why not? How boring it would be to always be the exact same thing for me. I don't, you know, for other people it probably works out, but for me, it, doesn't make sense. Clearly not for you either. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sense of security that comes with saying, this is what I am, Sure. this is what I have been, and I'm sure this is what I will be. That security, though, Why do you think we're so afraid? Not you and I, but the world. Why do you think we are so... I mean, what do you think that stems from? Because people are born without any ideology, without any care or belief system, again, bugs and trees, why are we given so much fear? It serves something, serves someone. I think you answered that in one of the very first things you said. You, you were talking about how our parents tell us what to wear, mm. how to act, and at such an impressionable age, we go, oh, okay, and they are, our parents are and our gods. Eight, eight times our size. Yeah. Um, we are totally dependent on them for our life. Yeah. Um, so we get the idea that I have to be obedient and obedient to whoever is in charge. Uh, and that then gets extended to the state, the medical profession, the church, and bingo, it becomes codified, but yet that fear is still there. And who, I don't know anybody who's completely comfortable with the unknown. Or in their own skin, I suppose. <laughs> I, I'm sure there are people who are comfortable in their own skin. I really am, or at Please. least feel comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. It's All the time? It's oh. when that skin is threatened or when that's called into question. Mm -hmm that there's discomfort and fear. The doubts creep in. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you're an anarchist? I'm a, I call myself a conscious anarchist. There are rules, I think, that are necessary for this time and place in our, in our, in our history. And I obey those. Sure. But do I jaywalk? Fuck yes. <laughs> doesn't know, everyone do, in New York? <laughs> do I enjoy marijuana in a state that doesn't want me to? Oh. Yes. Um, <laughs> fuck that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I am. But then there are sensible laws. You know, Thou shalt not murder. That makes a great deal of sense. It does, yes. Yeah. So every day that you wake up and you face the day, do you, do you think, well, today I could be a completely different person, or are you at this point now completely solid and you feel like you've, you've, you know, I mean, growth spurts happen at strange times. One morning you wake up and you're five inches taller, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 70 years old, and I went into my gender transition in the 80s. I was six feet tall. And what happens to people when they get older is that they shrink. Yeah. I'm now 5'8", and so I'm little in my own mind, and my, my perspective in seeing the world is, is a lot littler. Uh, I'm old, and I, my aspiration in terms of gender is to be a lady. Mm. to be gracious, as gracious as I can. Mm -hmm. So I have found my new gender identity as little old lady. And this is what I am, this is what I enjoy being. And when I wake up in the morning, I go, how can I do that? Yeah. How can... How can I best use, and this whole idea of service, 
still, how can I be of the most service to people? How can, how can I grow my compassion? We want people to be compassionate with us for our choices and our decisions, for our actions, um, but we're pretty stingy with our compassion for ourselves and we're mm. pretty stingy for our compassion for others. Mm-hmm. Unless they're way over there and we can say, well, we're better than them, I feel so sorry for them. That's not compassion. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm working on now. Compassion in body, speech, and mind. Body, speech, what does that mean to body, you? Comma, oh. speech, comma, body, comma, speech, comma, I was like, mind. that's a cool word, body, speech. What's well, that? Body, speech is cool, too. <laughs> Are you writing uh, anything new? Yeah, I'm working on uh, two new books. Two? Yeah. yeah You're yeah. such an underachiever. <laughs> what are they about? Um, or can you say? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. They, I know that sometimes writers are like, no, it's a secret. I know. Um, The one I've been working on for some years now is called Trans, just for the fun of it. Um, And the subtitle is Compassionate Gender Strategies for Divisive Times. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the other one is called In the Company of Heroines. Twelve real and fictional heroines of mine all get together on a lovely little island in the middle of a calm sea and have a conversation. All right. Yeah. That'll be fun to read. It is a fun one. Of your book babies, which one are you most, do you most connect to? Or are they all your favorite children? I outgrow everything you write. Yeah. The one I'm glad that's still out there and still needs an update, um, but I'll be updating it in this new book, is called Hello Cruel World, 101 Alternatives to Suicide for Teens, Freaks, and Other Outlaws. Mm -hmm. That one, I think, has done immeasurable good in the world, and I'm glad for that. Gender Outlaw and My New Gender Workbook, Gender Outlaw was my first book, came out in the early 90s, and the workbook came out in the late 90s. I've had the opportunity to come out with new editions of both completely rewritten, uh, both of them, and I'm glad for that. Um, I don't want to write, and I think I've succeeded, I don't want to write books that say this is how to do it. Mm. I would rather write a book that says, really, have you questioned this? I would rather ask more questions than provide answers. I think the whole problem with gender and sexuality is that people are too willing to give us answers and too not trustworthy, not not, not trusting enough of us to ask us questions. Why do you think it is that something like the massive amounts of plastic surgery that human beings get to alter their appearance and feel good about themselves and from lits to tits to butts to, you know, calves, all the things, and that's okay, but as soon as a person, because you speak about, you know, things that people know and are comfortable with, you know, I don't know me unless I'm comparing myself to you and you look different, so that makes me uncomfortable because that makes me wonder what I am or, or you're, you know, just that whole weird scenario. But we live in a culture that absolutely adores changing what we look like and how others see us. So where does that tiny little line come along that says suddenly, no? I mean, a we good let, question. We let Is people it... become human Barbie dolls. <laughs> That's a, no. We make fun of them a little bit, but we don't. Get, send them death threats, I'm saying. You know, we don't try and murder them for kissing us or whatever. There's 
there's the act of changing how we look, and then there's the act of changing how we look in order to look like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Those are two different things. I want to look like this, and then there's somebody who's like implanting uh, tiger whiskers mm -hmm. and, and, and getting tattoos of spots all over their body. You go, oh, fucking great. Um, but a whole lot of the tits and lips uh, are all about, I want to look normal or even better than normal. Mm -hmm. I want to look like a normal superstar. Mm -hmm. And you go, I'm so sorry to hear that. You were, you were beautiful mm -hmm. as you were. I know you didn't think so. Mm. Yeah, body dysmorphia is a real thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you feel 100%, you said, comfortable in, in your body now? Oh, goodness, no. Oh. I, I, <laughs> uh, I, don't think, I don't think bodies allow us to be comfortable. Like I said, I'm very, very old. And, and you're not that old. Oh, I am. You're not. Uh, nasty, nasty. <laughs> I don't think you're that old at all. Sony uh, seems young to me. Yeah, wait till you are 70. <laughs> um, bodies break down. That's yeah. what bodies do. Sure. And so... You go, you wake up every day. I, I played King Lear. I was I'm an actor, and I played King Lear in college. And I, I asked my my acting teacher, how do you know what? Playing old age, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be a cartoon of this. How do you, how do you play old age? And he says, well, and he was himself. I think he was 50, in his late fifties or sixty. And he says, here's the deal: when you're old. You wake up every day and realize something new hurts. Mm. You go, ah. Oh. And everything else that has been hurting still hurts, but this is now something new. And you can either fight against that or you can be, you can chuckle about it, but it's there. And something breaks down. Mm, I came through two years of chemotherapy and radiation for lung cancer and leukemia. And there's a phenomenon called chemo brain that they have no other name for it. It's a known phenomenon. Your thinking gets screwed up. So that plus old age, I'm losing my memory. And if you look, you were talking about reincarnation. Okay, I, I also agree with that. This is my belief. Um, but if that's the case, why don't we remember who we were? Because we forget. That's what death is all about. Death is about losing everything. And this losing the memory, this losing uh, abilities with my body, uh, losing comfort with my body, these are all lessons in how to say goodbye. Mm. So, oh, well, okay, don't have that ability anymore. Um, goodbye memory. And if you can chuckle about that, I think that's going to make the moment of my death easier. You go, oh, here I go. My mother taught me, and I don't think she meant to teach it, but she would tell me, my name was Albert. She'd say, Albert, I go to bed trying to remember the exact moment when I fall asleep. Not, not, not awake, not asleep, but the moment I fall asleep. And I know I'm awake, and all of a sudden I know I'm waking up, or, or I realize I'm dreaming. But that exact moment, I think if I could recognize that exact moment, Albert, I'll have a good handle on death. Wow. Thank you, Mom. That is some philosophical deepness, right? Whoa, That's right. some deep water. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So I'm going to be thinking on that for a while. <laughs> my mother, the flapper. Oh, really? Yeah. She oh. was a little too young to be a real flapper. She was like 14 when flappers were, were in, the, in the, uh, the roaring 20s. So you mentioned about the fact that if reincarnation, which... Obviously now we've established, we both believe, um, why don't we remember? But what if you have remembered and that's why you've been all these different incarnations of, of a being because you are remembering. You're like, oh, I remember what it was like to be Albert. 
a boy. I remember what it's like to be Kate, a woman, a lesbian. I remember what it's like to be a free-floating spirit that doesn't even have corpus, that is all and nothing and all and nothing, you know? I mean, what if that's exactly what remembering is? Nice one. Um... There are different kinds of beliefs in reincarnation. Uh, there's the belief that I am an immortal soul and I will simply be reborn body after body after body, maybe take a lifetime off, but uh, that's how it happens. I'm getting my hair did. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not how Buddhists believe in reincarnation. They I'm really a Buddhist. You're gone. You're just zinc. Goodbye. You're gone. There is a sublime continuum of awareness, but that has nothing to do with identity. It mm. has nothing to do with being a concrete known entity. No, that's gone. Really? Yeah. I always figured... They're like, oh, don't step on that cockroach. It could be Cousin Earl in Buddhism. And I wasn't. I always thought that that was how they viewed reincarnation. No, it's a simple reverence for life. Ah, okay. Don't step on that cockroach. Okay. Uh, but that's cute. No. <laughs> that's how I always thought it was. They... And they, they do understand that, you know, yes, uh, your next life you could come back as a human. You can come back as an animal. You can come back as a hungry ghost, as a hell being, as a god. But not with the identity. Not with the not with the same identity. You would be somebody completely different. Mm. Yes, there would be. There's an element that ties it together, and that's completely the mystery. What the fuck is it that ties it together? But you're not the same person. See, I guess I believe in some of that because I I do think that you are not the same person, but that the essence of who you are. That's why you know you meet people and you think. Wow, this is an old soul. They've somehow, you know, I meet you, I think, old soul, you know? <laughs> I know you're like, I'm old. you're not old, first of all. Not old body, old soul. No, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it, <laughs> but, I get it. Um, yeah, it's interesting. All of us are old souls. Every single one of us. Uh, including my two cats over there. Who haven't really moved much. They're, no. they're like little dolls. <laughs> Mid-morning nap. Yes. Um, I, I think I, my current idea is we all came into existence at some point, mm -hmm. at the same time. And then but somebody no sneezed. <laughs> then, then we started to say, but I'm different. And I think that was the whole problem. Yeah. The idea of discriminating, the idea of saying, well, there's this and there's that. There's me and there's you. So what did your mom say when you said, surprise, this is who I am? Oh. She, uh... You used an accent when you were speaking as her. Did she have an accent? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> New Jersey. Hmm. I thought it was Poland when you said <laughs> <laughs> She told me to get out of the house. Oh. Get out of here right now, young man. You get out of here. And if you go through with this, if you really go through with this, don't bother coming back because you're not welcome here. Oh, heartbreaking. Um, yeah, well, she had lived her whole life placing her value, her self-worth, on the presence of the men in her life. She was of that generation. So she was her own kind of slave. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Bornstein, she was so proud of Mrs. Mm. Her husband was gone, and her brothers were gone, her father was gone, and now one of her two sons was saying, he's going to be gone. And it wasn't until, oh, it didn't take long, about six months later, uh, I was in Philly, she lived on the Jersey Shore where I grew up, and there was a hurricane, and I called to see if she was all right. She said, of course I'm all right. What do, you, what do you think? I've lived through many hurricanes. And we, we chatted a little bit, and finally, I had already said I was beginning my transition. 
She said, how are you doing, Albert? And I had told her my name was Catherine. I said, not so good, Mom. And I was telling her that the people where I worked, at IBM, a subsidiary, were giving me a hard time. And uh, later she told me, when I told her that, she thought to herself, oh, baby, you think you're having a hard time now? Wait till you are a woman. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I remember I started crying. I said, I can't talk anymore, and I hung up the phone. And it was 15, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, the phone rang. I picked up, and my mom, it was my mom, and she said, Catherine? And she thought, wise old lady, and she told me, look, I, 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 I love you, dear, and I called to tell you this. No matter how your world falls apart, that's what happens, baby. You build the world, it falls apart. But no matter how that happens, I want you to remember you always have the kind heart you were born with. I will always be here for you. I always love you, my Butsula. Mm. So, boy. Yeah. How hard you cry on that one? <laughs> well, we, we became friends. We had seven good years. And then she passed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you had that, that moment. I, I had the best of both worlds with her. I had like some 30 odd years as with mother-son, which is an amazing relationship right there. And then I got to spend adult mother-daughter with her, which is an amazing relationship. Child mother-daughter, not so good, but adult, if you can get a good one, wow, mm -hmm. that's fucking amazing. So brother, older or younger? older he's gone he's gone did yeah. he understand no no he told me i murdered his brother he wouldn't talk with me for seven years whoa yeah that's intense yeah we didn't start coming back together again until after our mom passed oh so yeah. you had some healing before he passed away some yeah some we liked each other a lot and i know that he defended me at every every turn yeah as I did him. But in terms of love, not really. No. Had you, so you were married as Albert. Huh? You were married as Albert. Yeah. So it's for you, um, it's falling in love as a man versus falling in love as a woman versus falling in love as an all things considered. Uh, is there a big difference for you? Never been asked that before. Let me think. Uh, no. No. Um, the idea of falling in love, I'm trying to do that now at this stage of my life with everybody I meet. I think falling in love is good practice. Mm. And I think we need to go, okay, how did that happen? That I'm falling so head over heels in love with this person. Now I'm asking, why can't I do that with everyone I meet? I love you so much. And I wish for you the end of suffering and all the joy and happiness you've ever wanted. Mm -hmm. Whoa, now there, there's something to be learned from falling in love, I think. Mm -hmm. That's a good practice. Yeah. For sure. And I think it starts, too, with just looking in the mirror in the morning. <laughs> right? Looking in the mirror in the morning and saying, I love you and I want the best for you. And I want all of your happiness, you know. If we did that, even, start with ourselves. Maybe it's harder to start. Maybe it's easier to love another than it is ourselves. I... My partner is Barbara Corellis. Um, you, you've, she's been on your show. Here. Yes, yes. And she's delightful. She's a good friend of Louise Hay, mm -hmm. uh, author of "You Can Heal Your Life" and uh, New and Age Guru Goddess. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah, she just passed. 
But she basically popularized and put into this culture the notion of affirmations. And the scariest, Barbara was telling me, the scariest, most terrible, most painful uh, affirmation you can do is look in a mirror and say, I love you exactly the way you are. Mm -hmm. mm. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's a dance. It's a dance we learn between being compassionate with ourselves, being compassionate with other people. In this book I wrote, Hello, Cruel World, I'm trying to save lives of queer outlaw people who don't fit in. And having been one, still being one, we go to all kinds of lengths to stay alive until we can't anymore. And I'm saying, no, 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 just stay alive. Do anything it takes to make your life more worth living. Anything. One rule makes that possible, don't be mean. Mm you're not being mean, there's nothing you can't do. Do anything you fucking want to do to make your life more worth living. Completely worth living, no one has a life like that. Mm -hmm. well, the universe isn't rigged like that. Mm. Uh, but more worth living, yes. You were saying, you know, moment by moment things change. Yes, of course you can make your life more worth living. But if you practice not being mean to other people, Gradually, gradually, you learn how to not be mean to yourself. Mm -hmm. Much easier to not be mean to other people. Um, people have asked me, when you say don't be mean, does that mean don't be mean to yourself? No, of course you can be mean to yourself. Who can stop being mean to themselves? Gradually, you learn you don't have to be. Mm -hmm. But if what it's going to take is to keep you alive or make more life more worth living ends up being mean to yourself, do it, stay alive. Mm -hmm. You mentioned body dysmorphia mm -hmm. earlier. I, for most of my life, up until my 40s and 50s, I was anorexic. And all right, that kept me alive. It's the deadliest alternative to suicide you can imagine. I mean, your heart goes. Um, but if that's what's going to keep you alive for a week, a month, go ahead. Stop it as soon as you can because you are being terribly mean to yourself. Mm. Try to find an easier way to make your life more worth living. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> most of us would never say to another person what we say to ourselves. Right. At least not in polite society, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. It's what are your thoughts of, um, they just, there was just an article I, I caught an eyeball of. I didn't have time to read it yet. Um, it's in my to reads, but saying that um, there is a overall distrust that is brewing against LBGTQ um, society, whereas so much headway was being made of inclusiveness and love and support and all that, and now suddenly it's going backwards. Do you think that's a natural pendulum thing to then push completely forward? I, I'm not so sure it's going backwards. The people that we made ground with, we've still made ground with them. Mm -hmm. It's just that people who hadn't spoken up before are, and they are in the majority. Yeah, they're the feeling empowered. People, yeah. yeah. The majority mm -hmm. of people go, that's fucked up, that's weird, That get out of here, I don't want anything to do with you. Those people weren't speaking, we never made ground with them, they didn't change their minds all of a sudden, wait a minute, I used to like LGBTQI, now, because of President Trump, I don't. That isn't happening. No, of course <laughs> not, know? yeah. So, um... It's not that we're losing ground, it's just that the ground we never had is becoming more vocal. Yeah. It's a, it's a much better way to see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, um, so I, I follow a lot of uh, transgender folk on uh, Twitter and um, queer folk on Twitter. And uh, one thing I've noticed, and maybe more recently than not, 
and again, this is from my perspective. All I have is what I have, you know, but um, there's, there's a lot of, um, what is the word? Uh, absolutisms where like all cis men are rapists or all, you know, cis this and all of that. And I think, gosh, when you use that kind of language, you're basically talking exactly like the people that are saying all transgender people are freaks, you know? And I, I, I don't usually voice that opinion out loud, but because I, I don't want to upset anybody, but I think you used to talk about kindness and not being mean and lumping everyone into one particular thing is exactly the problem. And if you're trans saying it, it's no better than if you're, you know, cis saying it, in my opinion. But I, I mean, I might be wrong because what do I know? <laughs> but I'm only living my life. This is, I'm, 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 earlier when we, were, we first started mm -hmm. talking, I described gender as an ideology. Mm -hmm. uh, the bipolar, the bipolar, binary gender system is an ideology. We believe in it. Mm -hmm. And now that trans people, transgender people, are breaking that, and again, transgender I'm defining as a binary-oriented form of trans. Mm -hmm. There's non-binary trans and binary trans. Mm -hmm. um, but now that transgender is coming into its own, it's becoming its own ideology of gender. And to have an ideology is to be fanatical. You can't subscribe to an ideology without being somewhat fanatical about it. And fanaticism excuses mean behaviors in our own minds. No, no, this is my belief and I have every right to say this. And because you don't believe in it, you're wrong. And by being wrong, you're somehow less than human. And as soon as we say that, we can do anything we want to somebody. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the trap that we all fall into when we subscribe to a belief system rather than to simply observe the world around us, we observe our belief in the world around us. It's a subtle difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see uh, everyone's wrong, vilification of an ally, and I think, oh, that's not helping. I mean, I understand. It's got to, again, it's got to be painful and scary, and anger comes, all those things. But if somebody is your ally and they take a misstep, like they actually say, accidentally say transgendered, or they accidentally get the wrong pronoun, you know, and then somebody gets really mad at you or, you know, it's that whole thing. It's like, I'm trying, I'm doing the best I can. We're all just doing the best we can with what we have. So what would you recommend for somebody um, who is cis-normative when, when they quote-unquote screw up and, you know... And now you're bringing up the subject of triggering and being mm. triggered. Yeah, I and guess I am. <laughs> there, there is, there is a... a a Buddhist take on this. Um, Buddhist master Pema Chodron oh, yes. uh, understands the moment of being triggered and she says it's that moment when we go from rational mind to monkey mind just like a light switch and you're off you're not in your rational mind anymore and what we have to do is, if you, she, she calls it, it's like being hooked on a fish hook. And you, the best way to deal with being hooked is not to pull back, is not to fight it, is to completely stop. Take no action, no action in body, no action in speech, no action in mind. Pause and mm -hmm. go, I've been hooked. Breathe, and I think I'll back off of this. Now, when you just said he, in talking about me, was that an intentional slur? No? Oh, okay. Okay, no problem. 
but we don't do that. We, we, we go right into monkey mind. Yeah. And I live with borderline personality disorder. Which is, so for people that don't know. Uh, it, 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 if, if, if you saw the movie uh, Girl Interrupted, it's a story of a Great movie. Young, young woman who's living with borderline and learns to overcome it. it originally, it was thought to be the borderline between uh, neurosis and psychosis. <laughs> Pretty fucked up person. And <clears throat> Mommy Dearest, the movie, uh, is about a borderline person. Princess Diana was borderline. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. What they're finding out now about borderline is completely have no control over emotions. Mm. Something happens, we run with it. I had no control over it. And part of my therapy, which is called uh, dialectic behavioral therapy, DBT, was to learn to just do that Buddhist thing of stop. Because I would get triggered by it anything mm -hmm. uh, along. You had mentioned my Scientology. Uh, 12 years of Scientology gives me a lovely grounding in PTSD. That was my trauma and it lasted 12 years. So between PTSD and borderline personality disorder, everything fucking triggered me. And it wasn't until I learned to say, okay, wait a minute, what's happening here? I keep getting triggered. I'm not going to stop getting triggered, but I can learn how to deal with being triggered. What do I do when I am triggered? And that gets back to that my mom trying to search for that moment between awake and asleep. What is that moment between sanity and monkey brain? Where does that trigger happen? Stop, breathe, respond with the compassion you would like. Mm. And then an ally's slight or unintended slur will have no effect. So you were on that show, I Am Kate, with Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. And uh, who I think is obviously a superhero in many ways. Um, and she had that, there were, the, the clip, I didn't watch the show really, but I, you know, in researching you, I watched clips and... Um, uh, shoot, you guys were on a train, all of you, or something? A or bus. A we bus, were on yeah. A rock star and, bus. and everyone was chatting away, and you brought up the term tranny, mm -hmm. which many transgender find offensive, including a, a woman on the on the bus. And I thought that was such a fascinating discourse to watch, and how you were so honoring her experience of it and saying, Did you have a moment where that? word was used against you and then they, they clipped, cut away to how she had had violence against her and all that um, and it is it, I think the way you handled that was uh, was quite beautiful because instead of saying well that's the word I'm fine with it so get over it instead of doing that you're like well why do you feel that way I think that can be true with any of us if we just took the time to say, well, you know, can you explain to me what you're feeling or why you're feeling that way, even to ourselves, I think. It was a cool moment. Yeah, it was a lovely moment with Jennifer Finney Boylan. Is that was the woman I okay. was talking with. Yeah. Jenny with and I are like best friends now. I think she's the smartest woman I know. She looked really familiar to me. And again, I, I watched the clip and I, I didn't watch the show, so I wasn't sure who she was. She's I was like, where have I seen that Famous woman? author. Okay, she that's writes probably for why. the New York Times. Okay, that's she's, probably why I recognize her. a lovely her. person. Yeah. Um, but she had been really painfully treated for yes. like a long period, like half an hour. She was beaten while someone continually called her a tranny. And you go... Oh, I get it. I am so sorry. Mm. I will, around you, do my very best to say, understand that I come from a world of people who call ourselves trannies because that's a hard one identity. Yeah. Somebody turned on a hairdryer, right? Yeah. I, tell her, I mean, I, it's your home. Uh, <laughs> you get to be what you want to be if you're drying hair. <laughs>
Okay, well, so yeah, Barbara was drawing her hair, and we were talking about uh, the moment on the, the, the tranny was an okay word for you, but you know, and it might have been the time frame of when you came into right. your own, I suppose. Right. Um, there are trans people who live without cultural respect. These are drag queens, these are butch women, these are trans sex workers, uh, these are trans women who don't pass and don't give a fuck, these are trans men who are high femme. There's a whole group of trans people who don't get any cultural respect. And we've come to a family word that was developed in Australia in the 70s uh, in the drag bar scene where that was the only place people could make money. Mm. The drag queens would be the performers, the butch women would be the introducers, the street fairies would make the drinks, everybody everybody worked there because there no one else would give them jobs. And so they had to be family and they came up with a family word. And if you know Australians, they don't like words more than two syllables. Um, barbecue becomes Barbie, Australian becomes Aussie, trans whatever became tranny. It was that simple. It came to this country and then trans sex workers began calling themselves trannies um, and then there was tranny porn mm -hmm. and then the people who watched tranny porn hated themselves so much for watching it or being with a tranny sex worker that they turned it into a hate word. Mm -hmm. Is it a hate word? Yes. Is it a word that shows great love and affection and pride? Yes, it's both. It's not one or the other. And so those of us who call ourselves proudly trannies, it behooves us to understand that many of our brothers and sisters have been wounded terribly by that word. And to not throw it around too much and to ask kindly, of people, oh, it, it slipped out of my mouth. You understand that I love you, yes? Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because family gives family the benefit of the doubt. That's the deal of being family. And that's what Jenny and I were able to come to at that point on the bus, where, okay, we're gonna give each other the benefit of the doubt. I understand that that word was really hurtful to you. You understand that it's a source of pride to me. Let's not use it because it fucks us both up. Right. So, this is a really beautiful moment. Yeah. Just, it's a good teaching moment for anyone uh, learning about understanding. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. There was one in one of the videos. I wrote it down because I don't want to screw it up. Uh, being a freak is freedom. You said on one of the videos I watched. I was like, hell yeah! <laughs> and I love that. Uh, Talk about being a freak and what that means to you, and then we'll, we'll wrap up because I don't want to take up your whole day. I could talk to you for hours. Of ah, course. It would be fun. It would <laughs> be fun. Being a freak is being too much. Um, too loud, too tall, too beautiful, too ugly, too weird. It's just you go over the line of. Okay, you fit in somehow, and you're a freak. And you can try to hide it, you can get surgery, you can slouch, you can lower your voice, you can do all sorts of things, or you can just fucking own it. And owning it, owning the fact that, okay, um, I'm not a man, I'm not a woman. I'm a woman who kind of looked like a woman, I kind of look like a man, I kind of sound like a woman, I kind of sound like a man. Okay, this is me, live with me. I, this is it. Mm. it, it I'm not going to, I'm not hurting you by being any of this. And so I feel no need to change it to make your life easier. Mm -hmm. Work with me on this. And that's what the essence of freak is to me. 
and um, I think every trans person at some point in their lives understands that they go through a stage of being freak. And no one wants to be freak. No one wants to be pointed out and called a freak. Uh, I don't. But I don't mind owning it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Kate, how can people find you out in the World Wide <laughs> Webby songs? <laughs> I'm uh, on Twitter, at Kate Bornstein, and anything addressed to me there, I will respond to. Yeah, and I'm going to put links to all, all of your books and all your, to have people to find you on my HeyHumanPodcast.com so that it's they can go to the one-stop shop and find you in all directions. <laughs> and I do encourage everyone to, I mean, you, you are a living legend. That's There's no other word for it. Two words for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I may I may be coming to your town. Um, to Nashville? I, 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 oh, to any I, town. I travel to all towns. I travel yeah, and good. I do I do you know speaking gigs and I do performances and workshops. So anybody who's listening to the podcast who's going to college or has have a conference coming up and you want to book me, go to katebornstein.com and book me and I'll be right there and we can have a hug. Absolutely. Kate, thank you. Namaste. Namaste, dear This is fantastic. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.